London is a poem written by William Blake. It was published for the first time in 1794 in the collection Song of Experience. This poem is a view on the city of London in the time of the British Industrial Revolution, as it was the time Blake lived in. In this historical period, men, women and also children were first to work in factories to earn money that wasn't even enough to survive. In London, it's very clear the view of society Blake had. We can see for sure how Blake was disgusted by the lifestyle people were first in. As a matter of fact, reading this poem has given me a sense of oppression and total sadness. I couldn't do anything but imagine London as dirty, dusty and surmounted by a pitch black sky, which were the feelings Blake wanted to transfer to readers. I could see how much Blake sympathized with the victims of that oppressive society such as children, working men and women, prostitutes and also soldiers. Every verse of this poem elicits these kind of feelings, but what struck me the most was reading the following verse. Marks of weakness, marks of woe, in every cry of every man, in every infant's cry of fear, in every voice, in every band, the mind forged manacles are here. Ode on a Grecian Urn is a romantic poem written by John Keats in 1819. The poem describes the scenes represented on an urn of Greek origin, as the title implies, and includes some reflections by the author. In the various stanzas of the Ode, I praise the imperturbability, the stillness and the longevity that the scenes obtain by being part of the urn. In particular, Keats, in the second stanza, praises melodies that are imagined, which sound even sweeter than those which are heard. This example can perfectly summarize the romantic central theme of the ode, according to which what is not real and does not pass through reality and time is better than any concrete experience or concept. In this way, reality becomes only a veil that must be overcome to reach the truth, which, for the poet, is beauty as stated in verse 49, which is truth, truth, beauty. To convey this message, Keats uses a, a style composed of refined language, use of archaisms, rhetorical questions, assonances, rhymes and alliterations that make the whole work melodious. The sh, t, s and p sounds are frequent. Many of the words used to describe the scenes painted on the urn recall musical instruments delicate sounds or words belonging to the semantic field of nature. The poem left me stunned from the first reading. It aroused a sense of melancholy due to the topics covered. Keats' vision of love and beauty conflicts with my ideal of freedom. I would like to focus on the last verses of the second stanza, in which Keats reassures the boy portrayed by saying that he must not grieve for not being able to reach his beloved to kiss her, since her beauty can never fade. But, in my opinion, the lover should complain for not being able to get the love he hoped for. He is actually a prisoner of that same beauty so praised by the poet. The young man cannot experience love in all its forms and it is for this incompleteness that this feeling is not worthy of being called love. In the end, I would like to ask, is something infinite and not usable really beautiful? So, does beauty only make sense in itself, or does it need someone who can enjoy it? 
The same is true for the endless love praised in the third stanza. Can we really call love something that is infinite in time? Or do beauty and love exist only as temporary concepts which, if infinite, are distorted? Composed upon Westminster Bridge is a sonnet by William Wordsworth describing London and the river Thames viewed from Westminster Bridge in the early morning. The author pays great attention to the description of the landscape, analyzing the emotions that he emanates to convey to the quietness. The language used is simple, but every single word wants to emphasize the atmosphere created around the city of London, which conveys a feeling of relaxation and peace. These sensations um, felt by the poet observing the landscape were transmitted to me while I was reading this poem. Usually, I don't get carried away by emotions, but I admit that with this poem, William Wordsworth managed to involve me fully as if by sharing his experience with me. In text, you can see two similarities, like in line 4 and 5, the city like a garment, and in line 13, houses seem asleep. Even though this poetic composition refers to the wind as a powerful force of nature, it imparts to me an extreme and uncommon sense of peace, like a child listening to the pleasant notes of a lullaby. The wind blowing on earth, moving tirelessly and free through valleys, mountains and seas, bringing the autumn as a blanket to cover the world, is here represented as a play in the theatre, and we are the audience of this magnificent exhibition. I personally want to fly with him, admire what he sees, applaud his actions, and then let him live, as an old friend when the spring conquers the land and the sky, until next winter. Analyzing the language and the style used, we can point out the use of some figures of speech, like in the first verse, with the alliteration of the W, or wild west wind, which is repeated at the end of the poem, wind, if winter, as if Shelley narrated a story, which starts and ends in the same way, Then we can find a couple of enumerations at verse, verses 4, yellow, and black, and pale, and active red, and 53 as a wave, a leaf, a cloud, with the employment of terms belonging to the same semantic field, an anaphora from verses 21 to 24, with the repetition of the word of. Eventually, The whole poem is written using personification of the wind, to whom the poet refers with though, and her sister the spring, both written with capital letter. To conclude, Shelley imagines the wind as a terrifying but fascinating event, capable of doing unimaginable actions. This poem talks about a girl named Lucy, who is the main character of the Lucy poems, a series of five poems written by Wordsworth. We can see an image of Lucy, a lonely and unknown girl that dies at the end, but the author evidences how it doesn't affect his life, because no one knew her. I think that this makes the poem look really different from others. The beautiful girl isn't praised, but is alone for her life. In my opinion, the girl represents normal people with the figure of a gorgeous girl. Indeed, she is loved by a few like a common person. Furthermore, 
even if she is nice, she prefers a lonely life that is an unconventional choice for a woman like that. The language is simple and it's easy to read, but not that easy to understand. The verses are divided in three stanzas of four lines each. The rhymes follow an accurate scheme that makes the poem look more fluent and pleasant to read. This feature makes the poetry look like a nursery rhyme, and I think it's not casual, as the matter of fact, the lyric seems to be a story with a peaceful place where a pretty girl lives. I really like this poetry because it is another point of view instead of the unreachable woman that everyone wants. I was also impressed by the metaphors used by the author, like a violet by a mossy stone or a star shining alone, that really emphasizes the feature of the protagonist. To conclude, I think that the idea of William Wordsworth was to detach from the usual topics and give a different story of a beautiful woman. This passage, took from the rhyme of the ancient mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, tells about a mariner who, during a sailing with his travel companies, runs into an impetuous storm. Throughout the permanence among the ice, an abattoir keeps company to the entire fleet and is what they give him. Unfortunately, one day, the mariner kills the new friend. While I was reading this poetry, I could notice how fluent and harmonious the verses were, in particular when the mariner describes the weather conditions the day they left, their sailing, the landscape right after the storm, and the suppose. Furthermore, the adjective glittering associated to his eyes perfectly represents the mysterious hair that surrounds the mariner in every word of his narration. Moreover, it has a strong impact the description of weather conditions once the storm was over. Mist, snow and ice made the atmosphere turn into a more idyllic one. In conclusion, we could state that the entire passage is filled with symbols and divine connotations and that Coleridge was able to narrate this story very efficiently, keeping the reader's attention and underlining how the guest himself couldn't stop from listening to the mariner's story. Daffodils is a poem written by William Wordsworth, who is considered the founder of Romanticism and especially English naturalism. The work reports on Wordsworth and his sister's work near their home in the Lake District. The poet carefully chooses every single word, in fact prevails a semantic field related to nature. Words such as clouds, daffodils, trees and waves are frequently used. In the same way we can find dynamic words like dances, wandered and floats that represent the author's work. As for the careful choice of words, most of them refers to emotions or moods. In fact, the poem does not just describe the nature, but convey all that William Wordsworth felt in front of the immensity of nature. In this poem, we can see the fact that nature has a humans. Readers impersonate themselves in the cloud and see nature in all its beauty from above. Just as the poem intends to convey to us, As we read the lines, uh, the predominant emotions are calm and tranquility that will accompany almost lulling the readers to discover the, wonder, the wonders of nature, making readers feel like children the first time they see something they have never seen before. <laughs>